Okay, today for our podcast, we're going to be talking with Paul Stern. He was one of the co-authors on the paper, The Struggle to Govern the Commons, with Tom Dietz, Eleanor Ostrom, and he's the third author. We learned that they had the authors in alphabetical order, and he gives us a nice overview of the paper. And also, we're going to jump into um, my talk with him. He was I introduced myself. He was talking a little bit about his upcoming Amherst reunion, and then we started talking about the paper. So enjoy. Maybe would you like to introduce yourself first? Okay, I can I can do that. Yeah. Um, I I'm Paul Stern. I come out of I come into an interest in environmental and sustainability issues. Um, out of a social science background, specifically in psychology, where, you know, which led me, well, I'll I'll tell you a little story about that, how I got into it. Uh, Back around 1970, when the modern environmental movement was getting really revved up, I was a graduate student in psychology, and I was interested in this environmental stuff, which had no place in my graduate program. When I finished my PhD, that summer gave me some time to think, um, you know, and I was continually continuing to be interested in solving environmental problems, continuing to see no relationship between that and my academic training. And I had the summer off, and I spent it, a lot of it in the library and talking to one of my students I was teaching at a liberal arts college at the time, um, trying to solve this problem for myself. And in the course of the summer, I came across Garrett Hardin's article, The Tragedy of the Commons. I looked at that, and I thought, aha, this is a, this is a simple model of human environment interactions. And I could simulate it in the lab using some techniques that I had learned as a graduate student in psychology with uh, small group experimentation. So I did that. I made up a, a simulation based on the decision whether to uh, commute alone or travel by carpool. And uh, I had different groups of four people making decisions at a series of steps, and I had a resource that depleted every time a unit of car driving was used, and I either provided them with information about the, uh, the schedule of the resource depletion or I didn't. And, you know, the the information made a huge difference, and people were willing to join the simulated carpool. And that was great, except I didn't believe it. (laughs) It was too easy to solve the problem. I thought about that a little bit more, and I I decided that it didn't make sense for me to go on playing with permutations on the experimental design because the results just didn't strike. You know, it was just too easy to change the behavior. And so I continued to think about the issue, but I didn't have a good handle on how do you deal with the commons problem. Now, meanwhile, Eleanor Ostrom, who is the, the co-author and was the most, most senior person on the paper in science, um, was coming to the problem from a different way. Her background was in political science. And she was looking with a lot of other researchers from social sciences, anthropologists, political scientists, and whatnot. She was looking at the actual empirical management 
of local common pool resources like forests and fisheries that were threatened with over-exploitation by human activity, logging, fishing, lobstering, so forth. And there was a lot of actual experience. Qualitative stuff, not experimental, but there were, there were a lot of data out there. And she and others looked at that and um, did some writing and um, produced some very valuable work, much more valuable in my opinion than what I had done in the lab <laughs> using a very different approach. Well, some, some further time went by and uh, I became a few years after I got my PhD, I became a staff officer at the National Academy of Sciences National Research Council and uh, was was organizing some committees in the late 80s, something called the Committee on the Human Dimensions of Global Change that was an attempt to integrate across the sciences from the physical, biological, and social sciences, looking at uh, a number of environmental problems. And at some point in the rotation of members on the committee, we managed to get Len Ostrom to join the committee. You know, as a very senior political scientist who worked on human environment interactions. And I think at that point, Tom Dietz, the other author on the paper, was, um, I think, was chairing the committee at that point. I had worked with Tom for years, both in the academy and outside. Uh, Tom's background was in a program at UC Davis that uh, was kind of interdisciplinary. And, you know, he has a lot of training in ecology, but he was in a sociology department. So the three of us basically came out of three different social science disciplines, working on human environment interactions. And when Lynn joined the committee, we got some funds, I believe, from the National Science Foundation to organize a workshop on these issues of the commons. Lynn, meanwhile, had... Uh, was instrumental in creating a, uh, an international association for the study of common property that had conferences every couple of years. And we got a bunch of people to write papers and present them at the conference in 2000 and get a lot of feedback from researchers in the community. We eventually turned those papers into a report out of the National Academies. Um, and from that came the article in Science. So that's sort of how it all came to be. And the article in Science, as you can see in it, goes beyond the issue of local, um, local commons with well-established boundaries to larger scale global commons like the oceans and the atmosphere and tries to devise, you know, in her work and in my work, influenced by her work, tries to devise an understanding of the conditions that facilitate sustainable management and the principles, the design principles, we call them, for making it easier to sustain these resources. That's what the article was about. I looked back at it <laughs> after, uh, you know, in preparation for this phone call, and yeah, it's it's 
really, really comprehensive and really good, and I could not have done it alone. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful article, but um, I, okay, I, I don't even know where to start to ask questions. That's that's that's, <laughs> a, that's a really cool story. But even like, so when you first, so I'm going to go back. So when you first read Tragedy of the Commons, were you um, did you go oh like sometimes you first read these papers and you go we're doomed, or did you did you read and go no this is totally not true. I got to prove this guy wrong, or you just sort of just intrigued and said let's see what happens. Well. I, I think, I mean, it's, it's hard to remember. I understand the question. It's a, it's a logical question yeah. to ask. I think my focus was probably then, as it has been since, what can we do about this? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let me see if I can figure out some way to, uh, to keep these disasters from happening. And so, as I said, I simulated it in the lab and we solved the problem yeah. too easily. Yeah. So do um, you? Yeah. No, no. I, I agree with you. I, I I think the same way. Sometimes, like you can't, right? Here is like here's a problem in front of you. How are we gonna? Let's work on it. Yeah. You know. So that was my attitude. It solved a problem that I had at the time, which was whether there was any way. You know, did I need to throw out my PhD and start all over again to work on what I thought was important? And it solved my problem by allowing me to use some of the skills that I had developed in my graduate program and apply them to this. And I thought, this is great. I don't have to start all over again. I can use what I have. Yeah, but that's also, I, I feel like that's also the beauty of some of these environmental issues. You need the, um, right, you really need this interdisciplinary approach if you're going to solve them. I agree. Right, like it's the right the engineer like engineers aren't going to be the ones that like you need the engineers, right? But then also you have right, to you need the engineers. You know, and in, in Lynn's work and in um, Atchison's work and in other people's work yeah. on these local commons, you know, you you need to understand ecology. Yeah. You need to understand, uh, you know, forestry and fisheries management and how how fish grow and where they migrate to and from and what their pests and pathogens are and, you know, all how they reproduce, you know, all this biological stuff that's specific to the commons that you're looking at. And yeah, the problems are always interdisciplinary. They're not all interdisciplinary in the same ways. You know, and I should say in, in recent years, since this article, I have been looking about looking at the problem of how do you manage commons that are created by emerging technologies? You know, so things like, well, I mean, the ones in the news now, um, you know, one of them is fake news. Yep. Anybody can create a news story and put it out anywhere in the world. You know, how do you keep that from doing all kinds of damage? Yeah. You know, there are new gene editing technologies. You can create new organisms and they can go anywhere. You know, and they're global commons, and they change fast, and people can invent new ones. And, you know, I find those really scary. No, no, I, I agree. You know, you can put reflectors in space to try to control the climate, and anybody can do it. Anybody with enough money, any country with enough money can do that. And, you know, it, it strikes me as probably not a good idea. I don't know enough of the physical science. But... You know, there, there's this uh, emergence in 
proliferation of new technologies. And, you know, since technologies can be put into place most anywhere, they're commons problems. Oh, that's interesting, right? And plus, they're getting the right. They're getting cheaper and easier, also. So I guess it's many of them are. Yeah, yeah. they keep inventing new ones. You know, and sometimes they try to uh, establish control regimes. You know, which they did with recombinant DNA. Yep. You know, and they they when they do that, they don't always implement all of the design principles that seem to apply to uh, to other global commons. That's true, and that's coming around again with this new CRISPR editing, right? That's so much easier, right? That's all exactly right, right? That's that's like right. That's the one that's sort of I think getting everyone up in arms is that um, right? That's how easy it is with CRISPR to actually do some editing. Yeah, that's like, like who knows where that who knows where that's going to go? It's a yeah. right. It's an I amazing think, uh, technology. Quite, yeah, right. The question becomes, you know, how can you keep that from getting out of hand? And who do you involve, and how, and you know, it's it's all the kinds of questions that are addressed in that science paper with respect to global resources also come up with emerging technologies. All of the problems are a little bit different, and it's not clear, you know, which of the design principles that seem to work for um, ocean management or climate control to the extent that they do. You know, how applicable are they to these other emerging technologies? And, you know, that's the kind of thing that I've been paying attention to in recent years. Oh, interesting. Okay. Work in progress. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a cool, no, that's, 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 that's a cool work in progress. Okay. But I'm going to go back and keep asking you a couple more questions. Sure. So, so did you, okay, so did you ever meet and chat with Garrett Hardin about this? I never met him. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay, so he was never on any of the panels or any of that? No. Okay. You know, I mean, he was, what shall I say? I mean, you look <laughs> at that article. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he, has a, he has a position. Yeah. You know, he's, he's arguing the world is going to hell. You know, the attitude in that article is not exactly a, a scientific investigation sort of an attitude. Yeah. And that may be why... Nobody ever suggested him putting him on the academy committee. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, I never met the guy. Oh, interesting. No, because you're right. And that's, I, I do wonder about that because most of the articles, like almost all the articles you read in science are not opinion-based, right? They'll give you, right, they'll give you the overview of a paper, but usually that's, they're based on, right, much stricter, no, much stricter data and background. Well, there are, you know, there are analytical articles that, yeah. that are findings from research. And then there are things nowadays they call them policy forum articles yep. that are based on knowledge, but they express an opinion. Yeah. Uh, the tragedy of the commons, I don't remember what categories they had in Science Magazine <laughs> back then, but it, it was that sort of an article. Yep. And it obviously stimulated an incredible amount of conversation yeah. in scientific research. Yeah. Which I guess, I mean, yeah, no, I guess for, yeah, no, no, right. Stimulating all that research is a beautiful thing, but at, was it at the right cost or like, maybe that's not the right. Well, word. I don't know. You know, I mean, as, as a, as a contribution to scientific discourse, it was really important. Yes. You know, but as a, as a policy piece, 
that's a little bit different. What do you do if you believe that there's no help for the problem? You know, and there are some people that said, well, you need to, uh, you need to stop and reverse the increase in human population. Yep. You need to have fewer people in order to save the planet for the people who are around. And, you know, that's a, that's a very hot, that's been a very hot debate for a long, long time. Mostly people don't want to touch it. Yeah, no, I agree. So. But it's, you know, it's still an issue. We still keep having more people. Yeah. And they need to subsist. Yeah. Yeah, better, we we yeah. like people to subsist, you know, better than our ancestors did thousands of years ago. You know, but what's necessary and what's waste? Yeah. These are big philosophical questions. No, I know. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Right. And then, right. And that's what we, we spend a lot of time discussing what's the role of technology. Right. Does it? Yeah. In, in helping to solve these problems. Right. You know, it does. Yeah. It does both. Yeah. You know, so one of the issues now is we have telecommunications technology, such as what we're doing right now. Yep. So I'm not making a trip to New York to talk to your class. And that reduces carbon footprint. But, uh, you know, it also saves time. And what do I do with that time? Well, that has a carbon footprint, too. Maybe small, maybe large. You know, you can replace car travel with bicycles or you can replace it with planes. Yeah. With different footprints. Yeah. And sometimes you can replace it with uh, what we're doing. You know, or with Skype or with something like that. And, you know, it's an issue that's come up. I'm going to a conference at the end of the month, and we have some people from Europe who are, have decided to participate in the conference remotely rather than spend two yeah. days going from, you know, from Copenhagen to Nashville. Yeah. And back. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. But then there's something invaluable about when you meet with people to actually, like, to get work done, right? Like the, like how, like to actually be fa that, that face to face at these meetings. When I find a new collaborator to start to work with, I'm sure it was when you, like I don't know when you, you know, when you started working with these collaborators, it's it's hard to start something not in person where you sort of can read the vibe, learn how to trust them, learn how to work together. You know, to really yeah. Be, well, yeah. I have a, I have a story about that. It involves yeah. my relationship with Tom Dietz. Okay. You know, back around 1981, my wife, who was in a sociology graduate program at the time, ran into Tom at a sociology convention and came back and told me, you know, you've got to meet this guy. You really have a lot in common. And I said, well, that's nice. You know, I'll do it sometime. And it didn't happen until a year later when I met him at a conference in the Netherlands. <laughs> And yeah. Sue was right. We really had a lot in common. We've been collaborators since. When we came back, we discovered that our offices were two blocks apart in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And you had to go to the Netherlands to meet them, right? Like... <laughs> right. So that's true. You know, but the yeah. question is, do you have to go to everything? Yep. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. Obviously, the answer is obviously no, but it's hard to know which ones you don't have to go to. Yep, yep. You never know which is going to make that, that magical connection for you and your career and your, and your research. Because a lot of times, it's, you're right, it's not, the, it's not the ones you think are going to be the important ones are. Sometimes it's like this smaller meeting on the side or right, right, right or something. So people are tempted to go to everything. Yep. But, you know, this is, this is an issue. And some yep. of the people who are participating in the, in the workshop in Nashville you know, because they're working on climate change issues, are very sensitive to their carbon footprints. Yeah. You know, so they're more <laughs> likely to say, wait a minute. You know, I can I can Skype in. Yeah. And, you know, it's a relatively small group, and the people who are coming, some of the people who are coming from Europe already know most of the Americans, yep. some don't. And, uh, well, we'll see what happens. But it's it's one of these issues. You have a new technology that allows for telecommunication at an increasingly satisfying level. Yeah. Oh. And in principle, it can replace travel. Whether it does in practice is an empirical question. <laughs> no, no, I agree. It could stimulate more travel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got to go visit this guy in India. <laughs> yeah. I met him, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to something you said. You sure. said you ran your initial experiments and you found it too easy to change people's behavior. Yes. And then I find that interesting, right? Because it's amazing how quickly some behaviors change and Are some you still don't. There? Yeah, I'm yeah, still okay. here. Right. It's quick. It's amazing how quickly some behaviors change and some don't, right? And so I, I don't know. Do you ever do you ever think about that? Still, you know what I mean, like. Because write a lot about it, this is changing how people think and behave. I think about that a lot. You know, one of the issues is that uh, behavior changes on different time scales. Yeah. And, you know, when you ask most non-scientists, what can you do to um, reduce your impact on climate change? They think about things that you can do immediately like uh, turning down the heat, turning off the lights, you know, driving differently. If you're in New York, yeah. taking a bus instead of the car, you know, and, and so forth. And these are sort of one-time behaviors with direct effect, most of them having very small effects unless you, unless you get everybody to do it at once. The, be, the house, individual and household consumption behaviors that have bigger effects change on slower time scales like when you move from one location to another, you move into a smaller place or one that makes it easier to use public transportation. You buy an electric car that can be powered by renewable energy rather than a gas-powered one and a smaller one. And you replace appliances and you upgrade your heating system and you insulate your house. And you don't do those things very often. So they change roughly on a decadal time scale. You know, and then there are things that change on a generational time scale, like the layout of cities and the sizes of households. And, you know, those may have even greater impact than the things on the shorter time scales. You need to think about all of them. You know, and I think you need to probably do all of them to the extent that's possible. No, no, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, How, and like, right, and each of them have different issues for when you try to get people to change 
Right. Right. If it's a. Right. If it's a. If and, it's a. And they're also, you know, for from the student's perspective, there are a lot of different roles that you have in life that allow you to make change. So what I was talking about mostly was in your in your role as a consumer, what can you do? Yeah. And you can do things that affect your your direct impact on climate that mostly involve using energy. You can do things that affect your impact on climate indirectly, like uh, eating vegetables instead of meat, which changes, you know, if you're talking about beef, you're talking about methane releases from cows, and you're talking about the transport of food from where it's produced to where it's distributed to your house. You know, there's a whole supply chain that is what you call indirect influences. And then in addition to acting as a consumer, you can act to influence organizations that you're a part of. You can act to influence communities. You can, not your students, probably most of them, but you can act as an investor. You can decide if you have money that you want to invest for your future, do you invest, you know, which companies do you invest it in? We will be talking about that at my reunion. What should the college do with its endowment investments? You know, this whole divestment movement. Yeah, we, we went through that at Barnard. We went through that about a year or two ago. Yeah, there, you know, there's political activities. Yeah. You can try to influence public policy at levels from local to international. And so on. You know, and then there are things that you can do if you're a scientist. You can try to understand the causes of the problems and, and what kinds of interventions work. You know, which is what I've been engaged in, in the work that we're talking about. I do some of these other things, but, you know, I have a, a knowledge base that makes me especially useful for doing that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, for your students to think about, it's not just about what you can do in your daily consumption. There are all kinds of other ways to work on solving the problem. That, that, no, no, that's a good way to think of it, especially as we go forward in our semester and we, you know, we go into our final projects and how to think about um, these issues. So, okay, I'm going to come back and ask you a few more questions about the paper. I mean, general, because sure. Um, sure. I don't know, just it's I, I'm just enjoying talking about all this. So um, I guess is there anything like I guess do you think if you had to go back and like redo the paper anything you do differently like maybe a different example or different figures or you know what i mean like like looking back on it, is there something you wish you put in or didn't put in i just looked at the paper and there are things that i you know sort of didn't remember were there that are really great okay i'm glad we're there you know some of which you know a lot of which came from the other authors so like what's an example of something you just you, you like yeah you, i guess something you smiled when you saw it again well you know the 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 first two figures in the paper, yeah. um, you know, the, the one showing uh, lobster fishing and ground fishing yep. and how they, you know, the lobster yeah. fishery they were able to manage and the ground fishery they weren't. And here are some numbers. Yep. You know, the, the chlorofluorocarbons example yeah. is sort of a funny one. I mean, people hold up the Montreal Protocol, which is spelled out in figure two and in the text as uh, you know a great success story 
I think it's a little bit less of a success story because one of the things that drove it was that a substitute technology, a substitute chemical became available that didn't destroy the ozone layer and people could say, all right, you know, we got a tech fix. And so they were able to manage it. It's, you're not always that lucky. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like the paper, and I'm, I'm trying to build on it, you yeah. know, with this question about emerging technology. Yeah. Do the design principles that are laid out in that paper apply to these new technologies? And I think that's the one thing. And the one thing go you ahead. did do nicely, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, go, like you really lay. I think that's the one thing you stepped through it nicely. You said, here are the things, here are each of the parts to think about. So you're right. So I agree with you. It should be nice. You should be able to like take it and apply it to the next problem. Like you sort of, you, you sort of like put the foundation for how to apply it, right? Which is like, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Yeah, and you know, we find in looking at different kinds of commons problems that uh, the importance of the, of different design principles rises or falls. Yeah. You know, when you look at the local forestry and fisheries mm-hmm. thing, for example, it's not quite as clear that uh, you need to involve a whole range of people in deciding what to do with new technologies. Yeah. Because new technologies are not usually a big deal there, but sometimes they are. Mm-hmm. And so the way I think about it now is that some of the design principles sort of resonate across commons problems, that something very much like them seems to apply. And some of them maybe don't. Okay. And we're trying to think about that. Yeah. Is there is there something else you wish you included? Like, is there, I, I, I can't think of, like, is there like a principle that's like, you're like oh, I wish I, you know, that would have been nice oh, in there. Uh, possibly. Okay. But I don't think, I'm continuing to think about this in yeah. work that I'm doing with, with Tom and a, another colleague, Kim Walski at the University of Chicago. Um, and we're, you know, we're trying to think about this, but, um, and so, you know, maybe there are others that come out. You know, if, if you work in, on one commons problem, as I was suggesting, yeah. and you try to come up with a set of design principles, you come up with something that looks a lot like, but not exactly like what you see with other problems. Yep. And we're still trying to think that through after all these years. Well, I, I, well, I think that's the beauty of doing research, right? That's why you're, that's the beauty of getting to think about these problems. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what yeah. keep that's what keeps me going. Like even like like I'll have students like the thing about are we gonna run out of questions or problems? Like, no. As long as right, as long as you keep thinking and working on this, there's always gonna be something that needs to be tackled and improved. Yes, I mean the the challenge with something like climate change yeah. is that uh, the more it goes on, the more the associated risks increase. Yeah. And it's really important to try to focus on things that can make a big difference, and the sooner they can, the better. And so there's a there's a meta question for anybody who's involved in this. You know, where can I have the greatest impact? And it's not always obvious, which is another research question. Yeah, no, no, it's true, right? Because if, right? Because sometimes if you're doing, yeah, no, no, I agree. Because sometimes, sometimes your impact. Right, you may not 
you're doing your small part over here, you may not realize the big impact it has overall. Like, you know, sometimes I feel like, even like with, with all my students, like you never know which student's going to, right, somehow tackle on these problems and solve. Yeah, like hopefully you give them the tools so they can, you know, feel right. down the road. You know. And they may do things in different roles. Yep. Right? I mean, somebody will become a scientist. Somebody will become a politician. Somebody will become a business manager. Yep. And uh, they can do things in different ways. It can all matter. Yep. No, I totally agree. Okay, so I'm going to... So I have a couple more questions. And how was... I always ask these questions because it's like... for Because, you know, I'm always trying to get my students to publish. Like, how was, like, the publication process to review do you remember any of it was this because science right lot for this i'm sure they maybe asked you to submit like you know i mean how was the whole do you remember any of that or did it go yeah. smoothly well I, as i remember there they were collecting i'm not sure i think they may have been collecting a a series of papers i know eventually okay. they republished this paper with a bunch of other papers in a book, you know, there was, there was, you know, selections from science. Let me see if I can find the book here. Uh, science magazine, state of the planet. Oh, interesting. Okay. 2006, 2007. Yeah. So, yeah, the editors of science collected a bunch of papers and I think they, uh, they came, I think they did not all appear in the same issue. Okay. But there's about 20 papers in here, you know, including Garrett Hardin's paper. Mm -hmm. There's a section on the commons yeah. with about 10 papers. It includes that one. That's the first one. And ours is the second one. And then there's a bunch of others on different sustainability yeah. and commons yeah. issues. Um, I don't exactly remember... Okay. I can't answer your question directly. <laughs> That's all right. No, I, mean, I, know yeah. I know it's hard to get into science. Yep. I've been in there a couple of other times, but with more policy-focused kind of yep. papers. Not something that's as strongly empirically based as this one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to get in. No, I know. And I just always, I, I just always ask, because sometimes... I think sometimes students get discouraged by the review process, especially if they're new. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? But it's sort of one of those things that's, right? Like, I always say you got to, you know, thicken the skin and keep going. You're going to be in great shape. You know what I mean? Sometimes you have well, to. Well, that's, that's true. There's a lot of journals out now that didn't used to exist. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't know. There's another question. If you're doing scientific work and you publish it somewhere, where is it going to have the greatest impact? You know, and you look for journals that are cite, cited frequently, yeah. but cited by by whom and which fields, and and so forth. But I agree, the review process can be daunting. Yes. Okay. And then um, it was bad with this paper. I think the, you know the paper. You know, might have. Yeah. It was really good. What yeah, can no. I say? <laughs> you know what? You know, and with Lynn Ostrom, we had you know, one of the leading figures in the entire yeah. field. Who knew this stuff inside and out? Yep. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna. When that happens, I'm gonna be happy and jealous for you at the same time. Right. That's when what, what happened? <laughs> right when that when like when you get like a paper that goes through review quickly, I'm always. Oh yeah. 
I'm always very happy for my like my colleagues that happens, but I'm always you always have that little bit of jealousy inside, like oh, like yeah. But yeah, no, no, I'm always I'm always happy when that happens because it's it makes the I other think ones. This one, I think this one went through quickly. I don't remember for certain. Okay. You know, yeah. there was a lot of background work. There's supporting online material. You know, there's a lot of stuff that uh, yep. went into this. No, no, it always takes time. And I guess I'll guess okay. that any, any, any... I see here, come to... Okay, I see here, I have a folder with stuff from the paper. Oh, do you? Okay. Um, and I see here that in 2003, the journal devoted a special issue to the 35th anniversary of its publication of the tragedy of the commons. And ours was the lead article in that special issue. Oh, nice. Okay. You know, and as, as I was saying before, it came out of a lot of work, just not just Lynn's work, but the work of the Academy committee that, uh, that put together a bunch of papers, vetted them at an international conference and then turned them in a book into an edited volume. You know, and the three of us who were involved in the edited volume, Lynn as the uh, the sort of lead scientific person, Tom as the committee chair, and me as the, the committee staff person, all three of us very much interested in the issue. You know, we're drawing on these, uh, all of these papers that we had commissioned and had revised on the commons yep. that came out the year before the science paper. So that might have greased the skids for the science paper. No, no, that no. we had this very visible report that it was based on. No, no, that, there was that a lot of background work. That makes a lot of sense. And then I guess I guess and anything so because I'm teaching a first year seminar, like using all this. Any anything any advice for them or anything they should any final words for them? No, you know, I mean, I got into this from a sort of a out of the box perspective, you know, as a psych, as a social psychologist working on environmental problems in the 70s. There's still not a lot of people out of psychology. There's more than there used to be working on how do you change the behaviors that produce climate change? Um, you know, so having a new idea helps. Working on it with rigorous methods from whatever field you come from helps. Reading the literature helps. Um, talking with other researchers helps. Yeah. I don't know what more to say. No, that's, that sounds beautiful. Well, maybe why don't we, should we end there? Yeah. It's okay with me. No, this, is, this, has been, this has been an amazing conversation. I, I, I really appreciate it. I've, I, I've learned citizenship. I've learned so much just hearing, just hearing how it all comes together just helps put everything in you know better context as, as we'll reread the paper again this semester. So it's beautiful. okay. Well, I'm I'm glad if you get a chance to talk with Tom, yeah. you know he will have probably another perspective on this and will have worthwhile things to say that I haven't thought of right now. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna try to do that. I think I'll be. No, no, it's it's this is I I love talking to people about their papers. So this is um. This is beautiful. Okay, terrific. Great. Well, thanks for calling, Brian. Yeah, thank you for chatting. This is this has been amazing. Okay, great. Okay, thank you. Bye. Okay, best of luck with you and your students and all of that.